welcome the Faith of Our Fathers. We start off with a great interview between Chuck Colson and Lauren Decker during the Billy Graham Crusade in Washington, D.C. I tell you, I'd have just about gotten myself cured. I have worked for years and years and years to be delivered from being a Red Sox fan. Now this is the important stuff. Folks. I know, you go through the same kind of masochism every year of uh, <laughs> cheering the Sox on and then the end of the season. They but this kid Clemens may bring me back as a, I mean, it, he's hooked me again. I'm, I'm still a Sox fan. 20 strikeouts. It was a great moment for us Red Sox fans. Glad to know you're among us because we certainly are. and We're trying to produce it all on the network. Uh, as, as people listen to your messages on Song Time USA, Chuck, they, they write to us, they tell us how much they appreciate it. And as I put them together in the studio and listen to them, I think I'm getting the same thing so many are getting as we listen to them. It's really a pursuit, isn't it? A pursuit of discipleship? That's a good term for it, actually. I feel kind of driven by the Lord. Um, and you keep thinking to yourself, why do you keep doing this? Because you wonder if people are really listening. Is it making any difference? Then I think of the old man who uh, was railing against the immorality at Sodom, and someone came up to him once uh, and said, why do you keep screaming? It's not going to make any difference, and you're not going to change them. He said, no, I'm not screaming. For that reason, I just don't want them to change me, so I'll keep screaming. So yeah. I keep screaming because I really believe God has given me a particular burden to challenge the secular culture today and to challenge the church uh, to, to the message of Christ because I see no other hope for mankind. And uh, not just to the message of salvation, not just to, to come and hear the good news, but to then have the courage to live it out. And I really think we as Christians today have got to take every single issue that's being addressed in our society and our culture and measure it against biblical standards and begin to think and act biblically. And I really appreciate Songtime because you get into some serious issues. It isn't just entertainment over the air. It's challenging people. Uh, maybe the secular... A uh, person who's driving along in his automobile on his way to work in Boston or somewhere in New England and hears the message uh, uh, needs to know that life out there is empty without Christ. He needs to hear that, and the Christian needs to know that the challenge today is to live the gospel. So I'm glad you're on the air and doing it, and I'm glad I'm part of it. Yeah, we are, too. It's uh, taken you this pursuit to so many places, to prisons. We've heard you talk about being in prisons all over the world. It's taken you to arenas, just like this here at the Billy Graham Crusade. What about inside? Where is it taking your heart? What kind of journey has that been? Well, I was thinking of that tonight while Billy was preaching, and I, uh, I wanted to walk back up after I'd finished speaking and say, you know, because so many people in this city I've known for so many years, and there was a friend of mine who served with me in the government, worked for me, and uh, uh, he does not know the Lord. And I wanted to walk back up and say, hey, there's one other thing i got to tell you, and that is it's the greatest thing in the world. I wouldn't trade it in. I wouldn't take uh, the best day of the... 40 years of my life before I knew Christ and traded it for the worst day since. Uh, it's just the fulfillment of being at peace with God. And uh, I just feel my heart aches for people who don't know that, who still think that all there is in the world is uh, pleasure and power and uh, uh, hurt and suffering and 70, 80 years and poof, it's all over. Uh, there is a lot more. There is the opportunity to know the Creator, to know the one who made us, to know the God of creation. And uh, I don't think there are many people out there really who who doubt that there is a God. I just had correspondence with a fellow I was in the White House with, uh, very prominent in the Watergate. And he said he'd been reading some of my books and he'd come to the realization that there had to be a God. He could no longer be an atheist. He could only be an agnostic. The only question was, how do you know God? But the evidence for Christ is overwhelming. Look at the evidence. 
And uh, I don't see how you can live outside of it. I think you have to, if you're self-respecting and honest, you got to look at the claims of the gospel. I think loving God changed my whole perspective on Christianity, as has done for so many. Somebody's listening and they say, yeah, you know, Chuck, I went forward at a meeting. I accepted Christ after hearing my preacher uh, on a special sermon. But I still don't feel like I really have a love relationship with God. I listen to you, Chuck Colson. I think you do. How can I take one step closer toward loving God? Can you give him a first practical step to take? Sure. Loving God, uh, the greatest commandment of all is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And just about everybody can memorize that by heart, who's ever been in the church or who's ever become a Christian. The question is how? You see, and Jesus said very simply, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And the way you can start in a practical way is to take that scripture and start, first of all, getting into it so you understand it, you know what God is commanding. And then start thinking during the day, how today do I obey God? What do I do with my life this day in obedience to God? You will suddenly discover you'll start doing some things differently. The more you do it, the more you will feel that closeness, that love of God. Your whole life begins to change. It doesn't, it can't just sit back and, uh, and let, it, let somebody do it for you. It's a personal, growing, day in and day out journey. And it's a great, exciting adventure. And the first step is to know what God is teaching and to get into the Word and then begin to apply it to the little things in life that will come your way that inevitably come every day. As you and I listened to Billy Graham this evening, he said that the immorality problems of man will never be solved unless we get back to the Word of God. You spend time working with those who have led immoral lives. They're in prison. You've also been in government, and that's sort of corrupt, too. You've looked at the dark side for so long. Do you really think there's hope for this society? Can we get back to the Word of God? Or are we, as you said, kind of just yelling out there and nobody's really listening? Is there potential for this all to have an effect? Of course there is, because we live in a world that is ordered by a sovereign God, and uh, all that is going to happen is going to happen in His time. And uh, people are going to hear the Word of God. People are going to change. People are going to react as God leads them. And uh, unless we're approaching the end, I believe that we're going to see uh, the ups and downs, the cycles of history. I'm sure every generation has lived through it, seeing, thinking the, the end has come. But people are coming, in many respects, you see people coming back to their senses today. Maybe it'll take something like AIDS to bring people back to their sexual senses. Or a nuclear meltdown. Or a nuclear meltdown. But uh, yes, I think uh, the kingdoms of the world come and go, the fads of the world come and go. One thing endures, which is from the beginning of time, and that's God speaking to man, and he speaks to us today. Real thrilled to be on the platform with Billy Graham in Washington. Delighted to be here in my old city. Nice to have you. Thanks. Good to be with you. We follow Chuck Colson with a Jill Briscoe interview. Jill is a part of a program, Telling the Truth, which airs on WBYN-FM Monday through Friday at 11.30 a.m. What's it like to live with this character, Stuart Briscoe? Do you ever see one another? I always see him in an airport. Where do you see? <laughs> well, Mrs. Billy Graham once said, I'd rather have a little bit of Stuart than a lot of anyone else. So well, it's a, great. <laughs> that's a great way to look at it. I can understand that one. What's it, uh, what are the problems pastors are facing? The importance of a seminar here on the pastor's family. Uh, their problems different from others. Uh, what, what's it like under the roof of the parsonage? Well, I, I think they face the same problems anyone else does. The problem is they are expected to model something. And uh, I think we should expect the pastor's family to model something. But the problem is we, we try to be models of perfection, which is disaster, instead of models of growth and learning. 
So I think this strain of, of the model of trying to portray Christ's love within the family is, is a huge thing. How do you help uh, pastors' wives? <laughs> <laughs> Who said, listen, I married a doctor and I didn't spend my time in the doctor's office helping him, so I'm not going to spend my time in the church helping a husband. She said, actually, I found myself married to a man I didn't marry. And that's a problem. Mm -hmm. That if I'd known he was going to throw himself into religious, quote, work, then maybe I would have thought twice. So I, I think it needs a lot of discernment and help a situation like that. But then I don't think the parsonage or the pastorate or the ministry is a punishment. I think it's a privilege. And I think you've got to get your sense of calling right and your personal relationship with the Lord straightened away. If you don't have that sense of calling, then you better. It's, it's something to be avoided. Well, I really think so, because I, it, it is the sort of vocation or calling. Uh, it's not a job. It's, it's, I think, a huge privilege to not to have to spend most of your energy uh, in a secular environment, but be able to give time and energy and everything you are to the Lord's service. I think that's a wonderful thing. We've got to get back then to the concept that it would be a step down to become president of the United States. Oh, very definitely. Maybe <laughs> we aren't exalting the thing, mm -hmm. this call of God to the biblical position that it should be. That could very well be a problem. I, th I, think, so. I think so. And I, th I think one of the problems is that the sense of, because I was brought up in, in England, in Europe, mm -hmm. with uh, hymns such as Let Me Burn Out for Thee, Lord Jesus, is one of my favorites. And then I come to America and find that everybody's having seminars on how to avoid burnout. <laughs> so I'm sort of a little confused here. <laughs> because we, if we burn on, we won't burn out. And if the Lord is central, like the little burning bush, then it won't be consumed. And I don't know, I just love the Lord. And uh, when that is squared away, I keep coming back to that essential then wherever you serve, whether in the secular environment or in the parsonage, it's, it's fun. It's wonderful. You uh, reached for the Christian cause there in England. How did that come about? I don't know that I've heard your testimony. I'd <laughs> love to hear it right now. Well, I was uh, totally without God, without Christ, without hope until I was 19. And I was a student at Cambridge and found the Lord in hospital, seriously sick, and got well in a hurry. Apparently the Lord just wanted me in there to get me saved. And so that's how I began my Christian life. I've never got over the wonder and the excitement of the fact that God died for me, and I hope I never do. And so that is the motivating force of ministry, the grace of God, like Paul said. It's, it just drives you. Then you and Stuart cross paths, some, some kind of how. Uh, tell us yeah. about that how. Well, I was a teacher in the British school system and because of that fell into a coffee bar ministry, ministering to young people on the streets and got thoroughly involved in the early days of the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and all of that street evangelism. I took some kids up to a place called Cape and Ray Hall where Major Ian Thomas ministers and there I met Stuart who was helping there in his free time. He was a banker, I was a teacher and like Ruth and Boaz we just happened to hap on each other and one of those happy happenings of God. So that's how we became uh, married. You're going across the country. Why are the uh, women in America seemingly uh, having trouble yelling, I want my rights, I want this, I... 
Uh, why is this happening? At one time, that never was a problem. Well, I think it was a problem. It was just that uh, their voices saying. weren't heard. And I think it all depends how you look at, I suppose, uh, the verse in Genesis that says, he shall rule over you. John Stott says that headship degenerated into domination and mm -hmm. worse with the fall. And I think redemption rolls back that effect. And I think, I do think women have had a raw deal. Just, just look down history, the facts are there. But again, I think in Christ, uh, he gives you a servant attitude. I'm sure if I hadn't been converted, I would have been out there with the best of them, yelling and screaming for my rights. But I just feel now I've only got wrongs and responsibilities. And I think that's what Christ does in a woman's life and heart. Um, I submit not because I'm a woman, but because I'm a disciple who happens to be a woman. And I think that servant attitude and lifestyle is one that should stamp the Christian. And uh, it's so different and radical from everything else we see around us, whether a, a woman shouting for her rights or a man shouting for his rights. Christ changes that. So you're rightly related to Jesus Christ, and therefore uh, the, the horizontal isn't a problem, whereas it would be a tremendous problem otherwise. Mm -hmm. Oh, very definitely. That great church there that your husband has and that you have a part in, what uh, what the secrets? It started very small and mm -hmm. now it's very big. <laughs> Pastors listening across the nation are taking notes. What would you say are some of the basic secrets? Well, I think we have to be careful that church growth isn't looked at as church fat. Um, you know, graveyards grow. Um, so numbers don't necessarily mean something good is happening to you. <laughs> but I think they are an indication. <clears throat> we can't ignore them. Excuse me. But um, I think basically our church is centered around the Word of God, and uh, there are no frills. We seek not to entertain, but to challenge, to employ people, to put them to work, to help them throw them in at the deep end. You know, I think the difference between, again, I keep coming back differences still, I'm seeing Europe and America is um, in Europe we learn by doing. Mm -hmm. We mobilize and that motivates people. We take the young people out on the streets and that gets them excited about Jesus. Here we motivate, motivate, motivate and hope that will mobilize. Mm. So I think it's just a different philosophy that I've grown up with and that's what we've tried to do in our church. We've mobilized the pews and we've got a whole lot of excited Christians running around Milwaukee. We follow Jill Bursco with Pat Boone who shares his personal experience with the death of Rock Hudson. Well that's what I want to touch on tonight in our when I share just for the first time ever with Billy Graham. I've never had the opportunity before. Uh, Shirley's with me and we're we will have participated in the uh, National Day of Prayer at the Dirksen Building. And we just think that uh, God meant what he said, that if anybody will invite him into their home and their activities, he will guarantee the, their success. And Proverbs 16.3 says, I will establish their thoughts. Uh, it's harder, perhaps, to make Christian principles really work at home than almost anywhere else. So. I think God intends that we put those into practice and find out that they do work in our own family situations, and if we find that out, then we'll, we'll discover they can, they can work anywhere. And so in Hollywood, California, and an entertainer's family, we found that, that, and though we didn't always employ them, that what really worked was God's way, 
and uh, my four daughters now, you know, married. Each one has at least one son and one daughter. I have 11 grandkids, number 12 is on the way. And uh, as somebody put in a letter to me just yesterday, looking at our children um, says to them a great deal about what went on in our home because mm -hmm. the way they have turned out um, is a sermon. It proves to them that God's principles do work. If they'll work in Hollywood, California, in the entertainment industry, they'll work anywhere. And so I think that's one of the main reasons God gave us that opportunity was to be sort of an exhibit of, um, of the way his, his ways do work successfully and really almost, I don't know of any other way that does. And no folks from two feet away, he does not look like a grandfather. Last question because I know you've got to run. Uh, last night Chuck Colson talked from the platform about his meeting first with an AIDS victim in a prison uh. and how how just afraid he was of that of that in involvement with someone who had that disease. Mm -hmm. You had a, a, a widely publicized involvement with Rock yeah. Hudson before he passed away. Yeah. He told us he put his arms around this person and mm. embraced them and loved them. Yeah. A lot of people are real fearful of this thing. Maybe you can tell us just in a few seconds about your interaction with Rock Hudson and, and turn yeah. it around into a piece of advice for those who are wondering how best as a Christian to act towards someone who's sick. That's a good question. Um, because my involvement with rock went back to happier and earlier days. I never really accepted, though I guess it's been proven and established beyond any question that he was living a, a homosexual lifestyle, but I never saw it, so I just never really uh, accepted the rumors. I just heard them and, and then tabled them. And so our relationship was just a casual friendship. So when he got really desperately ill toward the last, and it's too many details to go into, but we were led to go up and pray with him, Shirley first and some lady friends. He welcomed them. Uh, a nurse, a Christian nurse, led him in a prayer of, uh, of, of acceptance to Jesus and, uh, and a commitment to him. And they agreed that they would spend eternity together because of that. Uh, later, uh, a couple of nurses left a communion time at our house, went up and, and shared that communion with him and we went back on the last night of his life to pray with him pray for him we didn't know it was the last night of his life but we believed that uh, he needed to pray a prayer of forgiveness toward his father toward anybody even toward the guy that had transmitted this aids thing to him and um, and and forgive anybody that had ever transgressed against him so he could also be forgiven of every one of his transgressions so he was in a coma but to make it short, he, while we prayed for him, he came out of that coma. He couldn't speak because his vocal mechanism had been ravaged by the disease. But he could grunt, and he, he acknowledged our presence, seemed very elated we were there, very glad. We all prayed together, expressed our love for him. I put my, he was, he was bare-chested, although it just it had not much of a chest left, just bones. But I following uh, James' admonition in the fifth chapter of James, anointed him with oil and I put my hand on his chest and prayed for him. And I really wasn't at all afraid. I wasn't worried about, you know, getting anything, partly because I again rely on what Jesus himself said there in the, in, toward the end of Mark in the Great Commission. He said, those who believe even if they, uh, even if they take in poisonous substances won't be harmed. Well, I'm sure that can apply to a virus, you know. And since we were there 
to minister to him in Jesus' name. And uh, we, we really weren't worried. And so I put my hand on his chest and prayed for him on his forehead. Um, he seemed to greatly appreciate it. In fact, rallied, it seemed. Um, he certainly came out of a coma and was communicating with us. And so we left and asked the fellow there with him to put some happy clothes on him in the morning. And, you know, we felt it was a turnaround time. And that we were stunned then to hear next morning about 9 o'clock that he just died. Mm-hmm. Shirley and a friend ran up, you know, got in the car and drove up quickly to his house and prayed for him, though it was not this wild emotional thing that people at magazine described. We all saw that. Yeah, uh, it was just a, a prayer for him and didn't know but what sometimes uh, people are diagnosed as dead and aren't, you know. And uh, evidently was, though Shirley said his 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 uh, feet and ankles, she put her hand on his feet and ankles, and they were warm. But she prayed for him, and they prayed, and then eventually had to leave and make way for the undertaker. Uh, but we decided later, because the nurse did get him up and put his happy clothes on, and he seemed to be eager to be up, glad she was doing it, but then the fellow that was taking care of him came and said, what are you doing? You know, put him back in bed. He's not supposed to be up. And took the happy clothes off, put him back in bed. And about a half hour later, he was dead. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, what you know, what the causes and effects were, we don't know. But what we decided was we prayed with him and put his happy clothes on for his home going because um, he was elated. There was a turnaround. And, and I think you, you mentioned words of advice. Um, I think we can really rely on on the Lord's protection against evil, and that includes uh, disease and so on. When we're ministering in his name, he certainly wasn't afraid to put his hands on lepers. Mm-hmm. And man, there was no hope for lepers in his day, no medicine, whatever. And uh, But he just he reached out and ministered to them, so did his um, devoted disciples. And I'm sure we can do that now, that we don't have to be afraid. We, we just mainly keep ourselves in tune and then minister in his name and uh, let him work his miracles. He's still in that business. Thank you, Pat Boone. We know you're in a hurry, so we appreciate you being with us. Wish I wasn't, but uh, God bless you. We now follow Pat Boone with Billy Graham, who acknowledges the great number of politicians in the audience. Each night I'm handed a blue slip of paper with various special names of guests of people that are here, and I see on here something I cannot ignore. We have many congressmen and their wives here tonight, but the thing that I want to mention is that one, two, three, four, five congressmen are from my home state. And the senior senator from our home state is here, Senator Jesse Helms. He and I were only reared about 15 uh, miles apart, and uh, we've known each other a long time. And Senator Helms, we're delighted to have you and all the congressmen from North Carolina, but we have a whole list from other states. I can't take time to name all the states like Montana and Iowa and Florida and South Carolina and Georgia and Kentucky and Indiana and Virginia, even Virginia, have you heard of that? (laughs) And Idaho, and Iowa, and Illinois, and Maryland, I've heard of Maryland even, and Alabama. We welcome all of you all that have come tonight. 
But one special person from North Carolina is the Honorable Elizabeth Dole, Secretary of Transportation. And Elizabeth, we're delighted to have you. She probably left her husband home to work out on the finances. But uh, they too are longtime personal friends of my wife and mine, going back a number of years. And people like Doug Coe. I could talk a half an hour up here about Doug Coe and all that he's meant to me in my personal life and all that he's meant to Washington behind the scenes. You've been listening to Chuck Olson, Jill Briscoe, Pat Boone, and Billy Graham. Listen to Faith of Our Fathers each Sunday to hear more great 20th century preachers.